our world has gone mad. If you could transport someone from the 1500s, say John Calvin, into the present with a time machine, he would be shocked at what he found. They don't know what a boy and a girl is? What happened? One thing that happened is that our world, apostatizing from the Christian faith, began to believe that the world was infinitely malleable, that we could do with it whatever we would, bend it into any shape we desired. We began to believe that we ourselves were gods, not the image bearers of God. In his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to Sexual Revolution, Carl Truman explains these two fundamentally opposed ways of looking at the world as the mimetic and poetic views of the world. He explains, quote, Put simply, these terms refer to two different ways of thinking about the world. A mimetic view regards the world as having a given order and meaning, and thus sees human beings as required to discover that meaning and conform themselves to it. Poesis, by way of contrast, sees the world as so much raw material out of which meaning and purpose can be created by the individual. In Romans 1, 18-21, the Apostle Paul writes, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Though it is obvious to image-bearing humanity that God created all things, that creation itself has a givenness, a fixedness, a real and true way things are and ought to be, man in his sin nonetheless suppresses that knowledge in unrighteousness. This is why, in our culture, it is possible for a mother to use the courts to legally strip a father of his rights when he tries to prevent his child from being permitted to chemically transition from a boy to a girl. It's why we don't know what a man is, what a woman is. In today's episode, you'll hear part two of our discussion of the creed that underlies this ascendant, secular humanist worldview, the confession of faith confessed in the green groves and high places of our apostate culture. These green groves will have to go if we are to build our cathedral of Christendom. May this next hour you spend here in the King's Hall sharpen your axe and bring you to look to our brother Boniface, who knew what it was like to face down the green groves and high places of a pagan world and what to do about it. The King's Hall podcast exists to make self-ruled men who rule well and win the world. What are some other implications of the belief that man is animal? Like, what else What else do you believe if you think that's true, and where, where does that show up in Western culture? Yeah, I think one of the uh, places that I've seen it is, uh, so in the book, I'm not sure I would recommend it to a lot of people, but it, I think there's some insightful points here, but <laughs> written by the Bronze Age pervert, so Bronze Age mindset, uh, one of the things he talks about in there, he says, I think that evolution is patently false. And he said the reason is is because man in an animalistic state is actually man at his worst. Like man in pure survival mode is he's not creating art. He's not creating culture. We, we used to know this. Like you need leisure. You need a, a surplus of goods. People have to have time on their hands to create things that are yeah. beautiful. So really one of the problems is it fails to conceive of man at at his best and what he really is. Really, I think Darwinism portrays like man at his best is man in the gulag. You're uh, like that's actually a horrible place yeah. to evaluate what men are for. Yeah, you, know, you know what's really interesting is the the gays try to justify homosexuality as a natural act because dolphins and whatever 
partake in homosexuality. Mm. And I, I always think immediately, like you do not want to compare nature as like the standard of good and evil. No. I mean, like chimpanzees, they go to war and they rip testicles off of each other. Well, think about that's the- like their method or like procreation, you know, uh, elk hunting, you know, the, the biggest bull gets he, the biggest harem. Yeah. It's winner take all. That's what, Thank you, Brian. You should answer the question. Well, even I was thinking even at bears when we were in uh, Canada and we were hunting. So what the boars will do is the boars will breed a sow, mm-hmm. and as soon as she gives birth, they will rip the cub to shreds so that they can rebreed her. Yeah, or they'll just oh. rip cubs to shreds so that they can breed the female, whether they're their offspring or not. So, yeah, it oh, wow. doesn't even matter. So, yeah, there's there's certainly a brutality there. And then you start to think about it, and you're like, well, is that is it really a good picture for humanity? But again, I, I keep drawing us back to pop culture. I guess that's where my mind is today. But I'm thinking of things like um, when I was a kid, it was popular, like the Bloodhound Gang. You and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do, do it, it like yeah. they do on the Discovery Channel. So like even this concept that like human sexuality is going to be defined based on what we see in the animal kingdom, you're going to get a pretty brutal, perverted well, thing. That's the problem with with an evolutionary worldview. And it, it, the implications of this belief that man is animal is that all of a sudden, every moral ought goes out the window. You can now no longer say, man ought to be like this and not like this. Because who cares? If you can do it, you can do it. Like, nature, brute nature is brutal nature. Might makes right. It's a domain where might makes right. And so if you you can do it, there is no good or bad. If you want to do it, you do it. You just, you know, if you would like to be, you know, to rape as many women as possible... Who can tell you? They can say they don't like it. Like they can give you their psychological reaction to it. I don't like that. But they can't tell you, you really shouldn't do that. You can say, why? Chimpanzees do it. Yeah. And I would actually do it. I would actually argue that evolutionary theory is inherently incompatible with morality at all. At all. There is no such thing. It's just a human construct. You know, and and, and it's old, but you would always say to people when I was in college, we did classical philosophy, and the professors would say things to you like, well, you know, morality is just a reflection of taste, like what I like and what I don't like. Yeah. And I said, cool, I'm stealing your car. And he'd say, well, you know, you can't do that. Well, why? Well, I, I could, though. I could actually do it. You why don't work out. You're a professor. I mean, I could I could take you. <laughs> I could take you. And, and they're really ap- appealing to a morality that obviously has to come outside of evolutionary theory. Well, you see why these ideals are attractive to one another, because you have this evolutionary mindset and then you say these constructs are society imposing their ideals onto me, which yeah. is really restricting my libertarian freedom apart from God, the yes. made-up sky fairy that you believe in anyway. And so they're really friends. And they all, again, come down to there is no God. Yeah. I'm my own God. Yeah. yeah you don't have to render unto God what is God's. No. because If you say is there God's. is no God yeah. and nothing belongs to him, and, and, you know, as, as we'll see with kind of like each one of these individuals that we analyze uh, and in future episodes, most all of them tend to be pretty perverted individuals. Um, yeah. You know, Nietzsche kills himself. Freud is like a sexualized freak. Um, Rousseau abandons his children to yeah. orphanages where the death rate was 95%, several of his children, after writing a book on parenting. Un- absolutely unreal. The guy was a... No, it was real. He really did that. He did. Yeah. <laughs> he was a very oh, bad man. Yeah. Very, very bad man. So, you know, you get the, you start to see, though, each of these build, and they culminate, we've already told you the punchline, 
they they culminate in the final one that man is God. And you see how it's like this works. Man is good. Well, now man is an animal, and so he can he's an evolving animal. He's ever changing. He's unfixed, and so you can now become something. Your nature can change. The good nature that you have, it's plastic. You can mold it however you want. And so, you know, you start to see how we can get to this idea that from that, eventually it's like, okay, so I don't render to God what is God's because there is no God, but then actually I am God. And so render to me. And I can do that because if might makes right, if I have the power, if I'm the biggest male in the herd, if I'm the smartest, it's winner take all. There's no more Christian morality where you do to your neighbor as you'd have done by. No, it's like... <laughs> all of that becomes fairy tale and uh, it becomes, you know, dead by the wayside. So let's move to the third one because there's another layer to this that we've already begun to move into. And we're going to talk about Freud a little bit more now and his utter sexual and perverse psychological insanity. And this is the the third entry in the confession. Not only is man good, not only is man an animal, but man is fundamentally a sexual animal. Man is fundamentally a sexual animal. This is what the Bloodhound Gang was trying to say, Brian. Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. You, 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 we're deeply shaped as a culture by this idea that man is an animal. But one thing you discover very quickly in our modern cultural religious landscape is an utter obsession with sex. Everything is sex. Everything is sexualized. I mean, so do you agree? Where do we see this? Where did this come from? Those are my questions. Yeah, I think everything is sexualized. Uh, you know, rates, you can look at a lot of statistics, rates of porn use, astronomical, um, everywhere you look online, even when you're trying to hide stuff, it's like you can't help but be bombarded by sexual content. It's at the end of articles, it's on Facebook, it's in Twitter, it's absolutely everywhere you look. The irony, and, and this is sort of like, you know, jumping to the punchline, but the irony in all this for me is, um, as I counsel young men, especially, we have greater levels of sexual impotence than ever in like 20 year olds. Yeah. Um, so it's actually doing something to us where we're obsessed with sex, but we've be- we've come to hate sex. And I think it's sort of like in the book of Isaiah, uh, Israel turns to her whore lover. And then immediately what happens is you detest your whore lover. Mm. So it's like the idol you make of sex, you immediately begin to hate it because you realize that it's bondage and slavery. Yeah, it doesn't deliver. It doesn't deliver. It's absolutely horrible. So now you have like, even among married people, you have like people are having less sex than ever, even though, we're, and I think it's because we're trading on sex at every corner. Like, and what I mean is advertising. Every ad is like this hyper, super sexualized. Buy this lip balm because of breasts. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're watching, like, shampoo commercials, and it's like, <laughs> you know, just like this erotic shower scene with an individual, and you're like, I why, just want shampoo, man. Why are they climaxing? Yeah, I don't understand why this is happening. Right? Like, it's ins- it is insane. Yeah, Axe, body spray. So, yeah, I, I feel like it's it's just one of those things that it's so steeped in the culture and in society. Like, you're watching, like, Little Kids Disney, and there's got to be sexual in you into it. It's, it's yeah. absolutely everywhere. Yeah, I think that that's definitely been the case for quite a while now, especially with the advent of screens, yeah, of visual uh, entertainment would be. Yeah, you no longer have to chisel a naked person on yeah. a clay tablet or whatever. You yeah, know? it's like wow, that's a hottie in marble right there. You know? <laughs> it took like it took me six years. <laughs> and so, if you had asked me this question ten years ago, I would probably have a similar answer to what you had said, Eric. Some crazy things have happened recently to where. Even the person's identity, and I know this is kind of mixing our categories a little bit more, but the person 
has to be identified with sex. It's not just an activity that you participate in yeah. and that you enjoy. It is something that you actually have to be like is a part of your personhood. Yeah. It's a part of your identity. That's why I I mean when the when DeSantis says like, you know, teachers, you can't talk to kids about sex. And the, and the ages was like third grade and under. I'm like, what? What about the older ones? Like, what? And then they're, I'm like, who's going to be mad about this? And teachers are like really upset that they can't share their gay escapades with their kindergarten class. Their gay escapades. Who says I'm gay? You are gay. They need approval for their identity that is associated with sex. To me, this is absolutely crazy. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is the move. It's man is not just an animal, but man is an animal at the heart of which is sex. The heart of what identifies you in your personhood is sex. And th this idea, I think, you know, we've already mentioned it, but this really deeply goes back to Freud. People don't understand, I think, the degree to which Freud and his ideas became mainstream and turned the public narrative towards this, right? A lot of Freud's ideas have been, you know, no, no psychologist today is like, yeah, Freud was right about his basic psychological theories. They, he, they pretty much don't agree with him. They've debunked his stuff. They're like, he's not true. But the ideas, nonetheless, got into the mainstream pop culture zeitgeist, and they're absolutely durable. He, he, he basically, in his psychoanalysis, he summed up the entirety of human fulfillment, the entirety of happiness, the entirety of human identity around sex, even to the point where he basically said, this is what human fulfillment is, genital pleasure. Yeah. Right? Like, talk, let's talk about the, like, the stages that he came up with, the, ki the kids. Yeah, it's interesting. Even before you jump into that, it, it's interesting. The early feminists actually, uh, Betty Friedan hated, I mean, she hated Sigmund Freud. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting because Sigmund Freud was very misogynistic. And and we'll see, I think, as we unpack these, why basically like a woman is like a sexual object for male satisfaction. <laughs> yeah, even his mother. Yeah, even his mother. Even your mother. Yeah, so um, what's interesting, and, and dovetailing into it, Dan, you can unpack these more, but um, even things that we have like uh, oral fixation. So when I, when I remember being on a job site one time, and I was always chewing on a sucker or sunflower seeds. And a guy said to me, he goes, oh, you have an oral fixation. Oh, gosh. What the heck is an That's oral Mista? fixation? Mista? Mista, what? what? This is actually what Dad was talking. This is all I could think about. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> That's right. It's R.C. Sproul. What's wrong with you people? But yeah, oral fixation, uh, the anal phase. Oh Yeah, so the phases of, of human development, he defined as the oral phase, which is like breastfeeding. The anal phase, which is when a child or you know learns control uh, in, in order to control bowel movements. And then it's the uh, phallic stage, which is typically in your teen years when there's a lot of um, self-pleasure. I don't know if there are kids listening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the last stage, I can't remember what he called it. Yeah, it was at I the genital, it was the genital pleasure stage. Yeah, I can't remember. Which is essentially mind. like you move from self-pleasure to desiring full-on relational, you know, you intimacy see, with yeah. another person. You can see all of this is like your whole existence as a human is defined by sexuality. Well, yeah. So he, he even, even infants, he said, had a sexual desire. Yeah, they were, they were express, and that was the, the point. Yeah, breastfeeding was a it. sexual desire. You were channeling your sexual self through the mouth in Which the oral now, stage. I'm actually jealous of my nursing son. If that's true, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I'm gonna go like bear. Some, some of the ideas, you know, like a bear on him. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. Some of the ideas that come from this, like if that's true, it, it it's fun. It's absurd. I mean, but if that's true, then fathers should s- feel like they're in competition sexually with their nursing child. That's the that's, gayest thing I've. That's yeah. the I mean, there is competition, but not in that way. It's more like of time, right? It's yeah, it's not. Yeah. not quite Leave my woman alone. <laughs> <laughs> the, the interesting thing too is like even uh, Carl Jung, you see it J U N G, even Carl Jung back then, like he's you know con- pretty contemporary to Freud, yeah, was like this guy's a nut job. Oh yeah, they were like no, and then Jung was like, and let me come up with even even nuttier view of the world, yeah. <laughs> with like the the uh, what what does he say like the the collective unconscious that we yeah, all tap into. He's more about like the archetypes and stuff like that. Sorry, was, Jordan Peterson. Yeah, you see a lot in in, in Jordan Peterson. One of the questions I want to ask about this is, um, as it infiltrates into culture, have you seen the church respond to it in a positive way? Or do you think the church has been complicit in some of this? What do you mean in a positive way? Well, like, did they respond to it? Right. Like, did they rise to the occasion? Yes. Ah, yeah. Or did they they go along with it? I think one of the, the condemning facts that you have is that the, the, the amount of pornography use there is in the church is that, you know, no, we didn't really answer this question well, I think. And and we kind of went along with it to where you even see, like, you know, think about the way that this is actually all the way back to some of our big, fast, and famous and megachurchianity sort of stuff, is that in a lot of ways, the church adopted some of the marketing sexual playbook yes. of this culture. Yes, I, I, I recall going to a megachurch when I lived in the Midwest, and the um, worship leader was like probably a nine lady, you know, oh, who was like, singing with smoke machines and lights. Like she was dressed, I would say, like in a very inappropriately. And then the pastor is like some like jacked, you know, yeah. good looking guy. Always talking I about mean, his hot wife. I don't know about that. I only went once and I was oh. like, I'm not, not for me. <laughs> they, these guys yeah. are always talking about, they're like, yeah, my hot wife. <laughs> well, you can also, you can also look at the fruit that the church has produced. Like, how many stories have we heard from this? This is not empirical. This is just, you know, our experience, but, uh, in youth group, like how many times have there been romantic dramas or issues in youth group, uh, or, you know, within the church, like you said, the prevalent use of pornography. But the fact is the fruit that the church is producing by allowing their kids to go to public schools where they're highly sexualized. I mean, the things that I learned on the school bus anyway, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And there weren't even furries on your school bus. No, no. There are now. There are now. Yes, there Not are, in Eric. in Dan's school bus. Do you like furries? Oh, that's true. Dan actually owns yeah, a school I bus. I own a school bus. <laughs> I'm sorry. I own a school bus, yep. I'm not accusing you of That doesn't weird. have a website. I've plugged everything, but that does not have a website. And I would say follow me on Instagram, but I hate Instagram. So. That's right. Speaking of sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Instagram is basically like a sex cesspool. For the project of this season to be successful, the project of seeing a new Christendom built, there will need to be thousands and thousands of Christian men and women who are equipped to stand for the truth of Scripture against the errors of both the liberal church and the pagan culture. This is one reason we're so glad to be partnering with our sponsor for this season, Reformation Heritage Books. Reformation Heritage Books offers a large selection of helpful and theologically rigorous resources on everything from biblical theology to history to blue-collar family discipleship, the type of library and resources that could make the kind of men and women I just described grounded in the rich heritage of the Reformed faith. 
We'd like to highlight one resource in particular, their Family Worship Bible Guide, that presents rich devotional thoughts on all 1,189 chapters of the Bible, including searching questions to promote conversation and to help you in leading your family in such a way as to say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Tap the link in the description of this episode to pick one up today. Yeah, I was thinking uh, as you guys were talking about this, not about Instagram and and the rest of that, but I was thinking about, you know, did the church answer the question well? Well, did the sexuality that the church portrayed in the last hundred years, was it powerful to combat this? And that's uh, why I would say no. No. No, in fact, we okay. followed feminism. We followed, you know, so much of the, I was even thinking of like Ed Young Jr. I remember this is probably 10 years ago, but he had like a sermon series and he was on like, you know, Good Morning America. Cause oh it, yeah, I remember this. It was all about like, you know, sex in married couples, but it was done like really kind of crass and weird. Didn't he go on the roof of his church for a week in bed with his wife? There's some weirdness to it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like yeah. he, the marketing campaign was like they put their bed on the roof of the church. Yeah, well, you it, can you can even see this with like Revoice or the gay movement within the church. Even even just saying like, I'll identify you as a gay Christian, as long as you don't whatever made up you know boundaries that you're going to put into it. But inviting that into the church. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And I, I think in, even in past culture. Like in the 70s and 80s, you tended to see a lot of conservatives uh, would say things like, well, what you do in your bedroom, like, that's your sex act, but that's not like who you are, and I don't want to know about it. Ah. It wasn't as much of like, we had this concept introduced that was gender identity. Yep. Um, So this this ties into it too. Um, Beyond the sex stuff, though, I would say with Freud, it's like, okay, self-esteem, the whole self, you know, categories that we come up with. I think that's why Rachel Jankovic had to write a book like uh, Yoo-Hoo. Yoo-Hoo, yeah. Because that's dominant in women's circles. Like, you oh, go, yeah. girl. Girl, wash your face. Like, yeah. you're strong and sexy. And it's just like, what is this? Yeah. Let's let's actually tie this into the next two entries in the Statement of Faith because they go together and they're the natural development of what we're talking about. So we've got man is good. The man is uh, an animal. Now man is a sexual animal. So we're, we're looking into ourselves for the ideal standard of good, our psychological selves, which we now see are, you know, obsessively sexual selves. And now we get to number four, that this confession of faith would confess that man's chief end is not to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, like the Westminster Shorter Catechism would say, but that man's chief end is to discover his inner psychological and sexual self and to express that inner psychological sexual self. So man can't just be himself. It's not enough to just be yourself. You actually have to be accepted as your authentic inner self and affirmed by society in that inner psychological and sexual self. So our culture has basically, like you were talking about conservatives that say, yeah, what you do in your bedroom is your business, whatever, so long as it doesn't hurt me. You know, how is gay marriage going to hurt you, conservatives? Ha, 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 ha. Well, our culture's utterly rejected this model of society where everyone can do their own thing so long as you don't hurt anyone else. So it's that's not enough now. It's not enough to just say, like, he can be gay as long as I can be straight and Christian. You, you be you, I'll be me, whatever. No, you have to bake the cake celebrating gayness. What happens if you keep acting like you're living in a culture? This is my question. What happens if you keep acting like you're living in a culture that is fine with letting bygones be bygones rather than a culture we actually live in where you act, you're, you must go beyond that? 
from tolerance into celebration and acceptance? Yeah, that's really a really interesting question. And I think Ayn Rand and Atlas Shrugged, that was one of the core themes in her book. Mm. And granted, it that book has massive problems. I got to the end. I was so disappointed. Anyway, that's <laughs> that's a different conversation for a different day. But also w- long. Also a long book. I like the long books. Anyway, so one of the one of the themes in the book is that you have these uh, like Hank Reardon is this steel mogul. He makes this new steel. It's called Reardon Metal, mm. and it's better than steel in every way. Whatever. So he makes this steel, and and it's not fair that he's not sharing. It's a winner take all. He has this more conservative mentality and he won't conform to the ideals of society, which is essentially Ah. that it isn't fair that you're winning. Yeah. Right. And so you need to share with everybody. And so he said, no, essentially you said no. And and there are a few characters that, that do this. And his advice is don't capitulate, don't accept their terms. Yeah. Even for a moment because they don't want you to just to just do the thing. They don't want you to just make the cake. They want you to love making the cake for the gays. That's right. And they will make you do it any way they can through coercion, through force. I'll destroy you. Even with guns. Again, I'll, I'll uh, after hours, we're going to talk about this. So I'll push that again. But that is, they want you to actually love the things that they love. They want you to do the things with zeal. Yeah, and I would even say on a pragmatic side of things dan is it's so much easier if we push back now like if if so the problem now is we've been playing this game for 20 years with the lgbt crowd yes and i think a lot of people thought well you know like you remember the military for a long time when i was a kid it was bill clinton and don't ask don't tell yeah just don't ask don't tell you can be gay but just don't tell anybody yeah it's it's no big deal do your thing don't don't make it a big deal and there were a lot of people who were like you know who said to like doug wilson no you're playing the slippery slope fallacy right. well doug was right and and here we are today. So I think that's number one, I would say, is, okay, practically, you have to push back against this stuff. We know the trajectory now where all of this is going. Um, but the other thing is, I think that what's happened is a lot of people have learned how to trade on their sexual identities, meaning, like, it, you actually have more cultural capital. This is why you have, like, 12-year-olds who are like, I'm a bisexual. Because even <laughs> a kid who doesn't know anything about sex has figured out that okay, well, if I say that I'm a bisexual and I'm transgender, immediately I'll get special treatment. Right, people pay attention. Yeah. So I attention. move up the rung of cultural capital. Like, I'm more important, I have a little bit more power, whatever. Yeah. Whereas, if you know, if you go to school today and you're like, I'm a cisgendered heterosexual male, people are like, pig. Social credit deducted. Yeah, that's right. It's not about, it's not that both sides can equally just be themselves. It's that as a Christian... You are actually affirming something that, if it were true, would mean that they are an abomination. Yes. They can't coexist. This neutral world idea is a total lie. We live in a negative world where you have you know, a culture where unless you will move past mere toleration into celebration, then you are actively hating them. Why? Because you are denying what is at the heart of their personhood. Well, can I, can I ask a question then? Yeah. If that's true— does it alarm you that so many pastors, Christian pastors with huge platforms are loved by the New York Times? Absolutely. That that should like when when you when you can get to a point like JD Greer where you start to say things from the pulpit like you've you've mentioned before. The Bible whispers about sexual sin, but it shouts about what did he say religious hypocrisy or something, I can't remember. Yeah, or even this week Tim Keller wrote an op-ed in the New York Times mm-hmm. that they ran 
about how Christians should engage the culture. And I'm thinking to myself, if you're a faithful Christian in this cultural context, and you, like if Brian, if you turned in your article for the New York Times, <laughs> they would burn it. Yeah, oh, when the like, enemy is posting, like, yeah, we'll accept that playbook. Oh, boy. You know? I mean, that it's damn, exciting. shouldn't that concern us? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it would be it would be like the Denver Broncos giving the Green Bay Packers their playbook, and the Packers are like, "Oh yeah, I believe this absolutely." Yeah, it's, it's a great playbook. Like, yeah, it's a great playbook. They're like, "Please play like this." Yeah, play like this. We yes. will beat you. We accept this. This yes. is amazing. Yeah, that's a really good illustration. Yeah, you're like, "Hey, uh, this is our game plan," and they're like, "Oh, we can beat that. We love that. We game can plan. beat this." Actually, we're gonna that. tell everybody that's your yeah, game plan. That's right. That's right. We're gonna put this guy in at QB, and they're like, "Oh." Yes, please do. <laughs> like Tim Keller's our quarterback. Oh yeah, we love that. We love that guy. He's got ballerinas in communion. Oh, he does. He's got male ballerinas in tights no, doing communion dancing. That's so so. And, and, oh, because David danced before the Lord, Dan. Yeah, Tim would actually. He's espoused for a long time, like using uh, gays and homosexuals to lead in worship. Is that where Bethel came from? I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> we'll cut that out. Oh man! So no, we won't. We're not <laughs> no, we out. won't. We we're not. Do. We're not cutting it out. So we're talking about this move in the the confession of faith of these demonic ideologies that has successfully catechized the culture to believe that their most important, the most important thing about themselves is their sexual identity. That's at the center of what they are, and their their chief end, the thing that they need to be able to do above all else, is to express that sexual inner self. To the world. Well, and be accepted by it. And to be loved and adored and, and worshipped. Worshipped. And to be worshipped. Yes. This is why, and what's funny is, a lot of how this is working out culturally is unprecedented. Like, let's be honest about that. The way that the uh, industrial and technological and information revolutions have changed screens, like you mentioned. But at the same time, go back 2,500 years, go back 3,000 years, what do you find? You find fertility cults, you find, you know, little uh, clay idol gods that have 16 breasts and they're like some highly sexualized woman. It is extremely tempting. As soon as you dethrone God as God and man as image bearer of God, one of the most tempting things to make an idol is human sexuality because it's like, how it's so powerful. You get more people, like we reproduce through sexuality. You can literally replicate yourself with this act. It is uh, pleasurable in a concentrated way. Your entire biological development seems to be, as apparently, pointed at bringing you to sexual maturity. It's, you could see how this would be powerful, but what's happened today is that we've created this potent narcotic, spiritually potent narcotic, where you combine that ancient fertility cult ideas, which is not new, with the unprecedented ability to self-expression, immediate self-expression in social media, and, you know, all of the cultural technological changes that have happened. So, I mean, do you guys see, like, why is this moment so much, in like, that has become so intensified, that ancient sex worship has become intensified? Is that what's underneath it? Is it technology? Is it some of these other ideas? What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think at the heart of it, you see such an erosion of Western culture that it's almost pre-Western ah. in some ways. That's why you're seeing like fertility cults. That's interesting, but, but it's not a really a fertility cult. It's it's more of like the Molech cult. Yeah, you know, sexual deviance. So it's like you late know, Roman like Empire. That. It's yeah, yeah. I, that's I, I mean, that's the only way I can think about it. Yeah, I'm sure somebody else has greater insights on that. But it almost reminds me of like as I'm 
almost done with the the book Herodot, uh, that Herodotus wrote, Histories. It reminds me of a lot of those ancient Greek societies, like a lot of the things that they did where there is just absolutely heinous and wicked things that people are doing and celebrating. And so it almost smells to me like pre or like a post Western, pre Western, a non Christian influenced people. Interesting. And even in Carl Truman's book, he talks about certain cultures being a first world, second world, third world car- oh, culture. Reef, isn't it the 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 writing of? The, yeah, I can't remember. Came up the, with that term. Yeah, I can't remember the reference. But essentially, you yeah. have this first world culture that is ruled by the metaphysical, a, a a god with the laws and the priests over this this divine being with sacred texts. A second world culture being those that are removed from that, but are still strongly influenced by it, where social norms are still constructed around the metaphysical. And then you have a third world culture where it is completely denied the metaphysical in that way. And so the, the third world culture is incompatible with the first and second world because the foundations of how they reason and the foundations of truth, what is true, what is good and beautiful is completely debased. It is completely yeah. different. I thought that was a really apt description yeah. in, in his book that we are actually living in a third world culture. That's why it's impossible to have conversations with these people because they they are completely unmoored from the metaphysical, from yeah. the God who created us. And so we're operating on a different presupposition. I mean, that is like radically different. Yeah. And so that's why I say almost like a pre-Western society, like it's just pagans, not influenced by Christianity. Yeah. But it, in some ways, it's almost worse because it's also reactionary to the past, to where the past is something that needs to be shed off. You'll and you'll end up. I think one of the interesting points that was I looked it up. American sociologist Philip Reef is that in Truman Reef, okay. in his book yeah. talks References about this. Him. First yeah. worlds are pagan worlds. Moral codes are based on myths. Second worlds are based on their faith in God, monotheistic Christian God. Okay. And then yeah. the third world, they don't root their moral morality or code in anything sacred. It's only your, it's all self-referential. It's my, my, and so what's interesting though, and I, n- I hadn't thought about it until you said this, it seems like when, because Philip Reef calls that third world a death work mm. or an anti-culture. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. An anti-culture. Because what it does is it actually can't create anything because it's self-referential. It's just masturbatory. It's circular. It's relativistic. It's ultimately self I was avoiding using that word earlier, by the way. Yeah, right. Circular. So, <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> so, yeah, circular. So, But what's interesting is that, and I think we're seeing this shift, is that the third world will eventually kill itself and lead back to the first world to where you'll yeah. end up with a, a rise of new pagan gods. Because, I mean, you can't, you'll, you'll end up deifying homo adorans. You'll end up worshiping something and deifying something. And what they're doing is they're just bringing back Molech. They're just bringing back Ashtoreth. They're just, I mean, Freud, what is Freud but a big Asherah pole, right? (laughs) Asherah poles were like penis shaped. That's a big phallus. Big phallic symbols that they would worship as fertility gods. What is Freud but really dressed up intellectual, pseudo intellectual, I would say, Asherah poles. Yeah, it really is. Everything is a penis. Even the it reminds me even of the G.K. Chesterton quote right wherever there is animal worship there'll be human sacrifice mm. again like you're not creating anything new in your worship yeah um, you're just repeating old patterns and and I think it's wise for Christians too to to look at this state and say look okay first of all the culture has become what they worshipped yep you wanted to be this animal like beast like sex you know crazed thing and that's what you became they gave their amen. 
Yeah, and so that's what they became. But I think for Christians, this is where we go wrong, I think, is we look at all of that, and then we say, okay, so the world is damned. Let's pray for Christ to come back at any minute. And really what we should be looking at is like a farmer and going like, yeah, the forest just burned, but I'm telling you in five minutes, it's going to be the most lush, right, fertile hillside on the planet. Yes. Christendom grew out of the fertile yes. decomposition of the Roman Empire. And we're truly not... You read history, we are not worse than it's ever been. No, no, that's, we're we're technologically advanced, we have big populations, but we're the same, we're the same. Adding another layer to this, another wrinkle to this, if you believe all of this, you know, if you adopt these first four statements of faith, man's chief end then is to discover his inner psychological sexual self and then express it, and everyone must worship me and receive me and accept me and celebrate me. Well, then, inevitably, you'll end up confessing the fifth thing, which is that man's problems are medical and psychological. You see, we're starting to come full circle, right? Like, oh, man's problems are societal. Well, like in Rousseau, man is basically good, so it must be society's fault. Well, then as we get into man as this sexual, psychological animal, it's like, well, then where are your problems going to come from? Sure, we'll talk about society and Marx and some of those, you know, ideas that that flourished as well, statism. But you also say, and I think you see this in transgenderism, you see this in a lot of these death work cultures, is that man's problem basically then can be solved through therapy and medical technology and technology in general. Yeah, I think, man, do, so have we made an idol of medicine? Oh, right. The cult of Fauci, the cult of everything that happened in the last couple of years, I think it wasn't that we didn't have medical idolatry beforehand. It was that that was the exposing apocalypse. Yeah. But you look back on it, and man, to this day, like the number of lies that were told, the number of lies that were whitewashed under, well, but experts now say. <laughs> and yeah. I think really what it was realizing is that we've been led astray by the God of, I mean, think about how many antidepressants I was reading this uh, this week. And you're talking about, okay, why is there so much estrogen in the water? And it's because we're flushing the pill and the pill is in our urine, like the birth control pill. Yeah. And so it's contaminating the water. And I, I, I tweeted this earlier, but I said, it's it's like Moses and the gold, right? He's, he grinds it up, puts it in the water, and he says, you're going to drink the judgment of God. You, you want to yeah. make an idol? You drink it. He makes them drink their God. And I said, and you know, pee it out. You know what's crazy is here <laughs> we are, literally here we are, and God is judging America by saying, you want to control your fertility through these synthetic hormones? You, really? Go ahead. You want to do that? Why don't you drink the judgment? Eric, this was one of your greatest tweets of all time. Thank you. I hit the retweet so hard and so like I saw it and I was like retweet I want my followers to see this because it was like it just and I was preparing the outline for this episode yes when you tweeted so we were that. on the same wavelength and I wrote down for a while Eric's tweet and then I ended up working it in but and he, here's the interesting thing so just like in COVID what was the immediate thing that happened on my tweet thread well that article is not by a trusted expert and I was like are you kidding uh. Are you kidding? Like you pound think, sand. You think pound I care sand. what the trusted experts have to say? Yes. Here? It's like yeah. the meme. Do you have any research on that? And it's the Chad guy, and he's like, "I made it up." <laughs> 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 because this this is true too. Like when you, you see medicine is like, okay, our prop we're animals, and so we have physical problems. We're psychological creatures. We're this inner self, this inner psychological sexual self, and so we have therapeutic problems that we need the answer to. And all of a sudden, the Savior, the Messiah, does become medicine it becomes 
transhumanism, chemical transhumanism in what is the birth control pill but chemical transhumanism? It's it's improving and transcending your physical limitations with chemical alteration. It's just Elon Musk's Neuralink, but in a pill form. Chemical castration. It's yeah. You were there are That's some eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there were some eunuchs who were born eunuchs, and there were some eunuchs that popped a pill. You know, it's like this is such a perfect illustration of the way that this death work pagan culture of ours fundamentally believes that it doesn't believe sin is the problem. It believes that medical problems are the problem. And now I can use technology and I can make my outer self match my, that inner self. It sort of reminds me, Dan, in a, in a, maybe to use a blue collar analogy here, because that's you know sort of how my mind works sometimes. Um, but a lot of times when you, you create a problem, when you try to fix a problem with something else, Right, so so my th- brother says, "Fix it till it's broke." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Fix it till it's broke, and he does. He does. But yeah. you you carry this into the medical, and and so what we've done is we've created a problem, like the pill. We create a problem, and then we got to introduce a new drug to create the problem. But again, to Brian's point, it's all about this. Like, well, the real issue is your chemical imbalance. Oh yeah, it's not your habits. It's not your lack of discipline. It's not right. the fact you're a glutton. It's not the fact that you're cheating on your wife. It's not the fact that you're lazy at work. Yeah, or you have no meaningful mission in your life. No, it's just a chemical imbalance. Yeah. And so we'll give you another chemical to straighten out the imbalance. By the way, Jordan Peterson, good example. That chemical that we gave you might drive you crazy and make you want to kill yourself. SSRIs, yes. And transgenderism, another perfect example. We've created a problem through our idolatry of believing that this intersexual self is like the sum of who I am. Mm. And then, of course, you're just going to... Like when when a 10-year-old first discovers pornography, a topless woman gives him like the a high. But then he has to keep looking for increasingly hardcore, hardcore, more hardcore, crazier, more perverted, until pretty soon you've got 14-year-olds who are watching bestiality pornography. Like this is a real thing. And and it's the same thing with this sexual self. Well, we started with like Playboy and Hugh Hefner and, and pornography culture. And now 30, 40, 50, 60 years down the road, what are we doing? We're chopping people's genitalia off, and we're trying to medically transmogrify them into a, some fake, crazy, queened gender fake version of themselves with our medical technology and chemical intervention. It's like the Nazi medical experiments, but just mainstreamed and on CNN. We just make those look like child's play. Oh, yeah. We're like, oh, you, you, Mengele, you thought you could mangle people? Well, just, just watch. We'll do it to 12-year-olds. What's what's interesting to me, and and I don't want to go too far down the rabbit. Trail. We're so kicked off of Apple Podcast. We're so off. I mean, like, <laughs> but but even things like the way that judgment comes around on this, Dan, where it's like, you know, we take the pill, we think that we're so smart, this is really great. Oh, it's really weird when all of our women are dying of breast cancer all of a sudden. Huh. Yeah, or you can't have kids. Yeah, huh. can't have kids. Uh, we were talking about this in the the masculinity space. Somebody pointed this out. It's it's not in a lot of the literature, but like TRT, testosterone replacement therapy. They were like, oh yeah, by the way, it makes you sterile. Wow. Yeah. It makes you almost completely sterile. Unbelievable. So it's like, okay, can we just stop with injecting yourself with things that are synthetic? Or like the 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 mother on, it was on Reddit or something. I think it went around Twitter. The mother was talking about the, uh, they were talking about basically, I did everything right with my trans son. Or my, yeah, it was really a daughter that he was transforming. Or it was a son he was trying to transform into a daughter. <laughs> It's like we gave him the hormone blockers, da 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 and now he's 18, and we want to give him the full transition bottom surgery, as they call it, where they cut his penis off and make a fake vagina. Sorry, parents, if you had kids in the room. Yeah, it's okay. They're gonna, you're gonna want to instruct your kids on these things anyway. So, good opportunity. <laughs> yeah, good opportunity. Disney's doing it anyway. But he was like, oh, because of the chemical castration, that's not how they put it. He has a micro penis. 
and no sexual desire whatsoever because they interrupted his puberty. They permanently deferred it so that now they can't even make a fake female genital system or whatever because usually they use the sensory, the pleasure sensors of the the Ah. man's penis to make the fake vagina. So, So this adult man is now permanently disfigured has permanently, it's, it's, it's a perfect example of judgment. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. In search of the perfect expression of their inner sexual self, they made all sexual expression impossible. They made this person a eunuch. They made them asexual. So now that they can't even have sexual desires because they have completely chemically destroyed them. This is why, you guys, when we're talking about Christendom and the mission of God and bringing the gospel of the kingdom of God into conflict with this culture of death, this is not just like side issue culture warring. It makes me so angry when these radical two kingdoms guys are like, oh yeah, the gay stuff, that's all cultural. Quit your culture warring. I'm like, they are destroying God's image bearers and they are worshiping demons. Well, not only that, but it's, it's also infiltrated the church. Yeah. Because then, it, so I'll start really mild. If you were to say like Christians, you need to have kids. You should have a lot of kids. You should have kids. And then you get people that are like, well, hold on, hold on a minute. You know, you shouldn't be, that's legalism. Yeah. You shouldn't be telling how many, you know, people have how many kids and whatever. And I'm right. like, okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, there is a line there somewhere, but no, you should have kids. Don't despise the blessing. Uh, it, it's just insane to me. Like to, to yeah. not want to have children, you know, to not actually bear fruit. Yeah. Other places that this has infiltrated the church, unless you had something more no, on that. Well, point. I was going to say, it's a perfect example of how in search of fulfillment, they actually cut themselves off from blessing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the discussions that I frequently have with younger couples that are talking about having children, you know, they, they say, I don't know if we should have kids or not, we should wait or whatever. And one of the things that I bring up amongst a whole lot of other things, just for the sake of brevity, is that one of the most severe curses that God gives is to cut off someone's line. He will say, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to curse you. I am killing you and your descendants. You're done. Yep. Like they're all dead. There will be no more Edomites. There are no more. They're gone. And you do that to yourself. You're embracing, you are cursing yourself with one of the greatest curses that God has in his tool belt is to end your line. And so that's what this chemical castration does. That's what Christians are doing with intentional childless. That's what they're doing when you actually take birth control pills and you make the womb an inhospitable place for a baby to grow. Uh, it's an abortifacient. It can cause abortions. Anyway, so it's it should be no surprise that women that take birth control pills for a long, long, long time, yeah. and then when they're 40, they want to have a kid, they can't. So it shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise us. It's really interesting, and this is a discussion that goes on uh, in the reform camp quite a bit, but how do we evaluate technology? And medicine is a form, I think, of technology. Absolutely. One of the problems is, a lot, and, and pietism has brought this about, well, all technology is good, so embrace it all equally, and everything it does is good, and it makes life easier and better and, and whatever. But it relates to something we were at the, uh, in Huntsville, Alabama, we were at the uh, Saturn V Rocket Center. And Werner von Braun was a German who grew up in all this German Nazi craziness about medical experimentation and World War II, fled, came here. And you're in the rocket center, and they have these quotes on the wall, and it's Werner von Braun. And he says, man will be able to reach outer space, and in ascending into space, he will ascend God himself. Wow. I I immediately thought, well, Babel. Yep. This is the Tower of Babel. So I think one of the things that we have to bake into our principles of how we handle technology, we evaluate medicine. We've got to realize that 
a lot of these things were created so that man could be bebelic, so that he could transcend yeah. the limits that God placed on him. And those limits were actually things that were for your good. Like a woman, her hormones and her cycle and all those things are a gift given to her for procreation. Yeah, and they're like a marker, a site. They're, they're a marker for whole body health. Yes, and when you screw with those, and so it's just interesting to me that like, how many pastors do you know that would talk even talk about hormones? But now you've got like men and women who are hormonal train wrecks, and and we don't as a church like if we're going to rebuild Christendom. We've got to have principles to evaluate medicine, health, et cetera, yeah. psychology, all of it. Yeah, you have, I think, and it's interesting, you talk about technology, Christians evaluating technology. It's important for Christians to realize how much of the modern medical industry is related to this self-deification and, and like the desire to con completely control it, our identity through um, what is essentially alchemy, chemical alchemy, witchcraft, magic, all of these kind of things. Better living through chemistry. Same thing. You know, most of our actual medical advance took place over a hundred years ago in sanitation and surgery. We've had we've had medical advance in surgical strategies and in sanitation and things like that and antibiotics, really basic stuff that keep people from dying from stuff people just die really easily from in history. But a lot of our so-called medical advances since then in the last 50 years are absolute farces. They're they're just creating problems through our modern lifestyles that are a result of our psychological evolutionary selves. Ten years after they're introduced, most yeah. of them are proved to be false. False and kill you. Yeah, a more lot harmful than beneficial. Yeah, Right. Iatrogenics is a real thing, which is that the medical industry actually ends up killing you <laughs> by its interventions that were unnecessary. But a lot of our problems are actually the result of this worship, believing this creed about man as psychological animal, sexual animal, killing ourselves in our lifestyles, killing ourselves in how we eat and in the world that we've made in chemical intervention. And all of a sudden cancers are exploding and, and autism is exploding and all these things are exploding. And then we intervene with more chemicals to treat symptoms that suppress symptoms, but don't actually address root causes. And so what we're doing is we're creating, we're, we're actually poisoning ourselves in attempts to make ourselves gods. We need to move on, but do you guys have any yeah, so, response to so that? So I'll just say one principle that has been helpful for me is if something hasn't been around for a thousand years, be highly suspicious. Yeah. Be highly suspicious. It's not to say old things are better necessarily. It's just they have more time to work out and see the fruit of them. Was there something you wanted to mention? Yeah, I was actually just going to say, we, we've been talking about this. Uh, my wife's grandmother was going to be her great grandma. Not even knowing it, she she lived sort of like the Weston A. Price life. Yeah, without there was no, she didn't have a label for they it. They grew up on a farm. They ate wild produce, and she had a garden. And she like hated doctors and the medical <laughs> establishment. And she was, I think, a hundred and three. And her son put her in a nursing home. She was in pretty good health. Put her in a nursing home. She died within like four months. Wow. Yeah, that's, nursing homes is where people go. Yeah, die, it's like. So it's yeah. We're tired of you. Go die. Listen to the Bright Hearth podcast, Deathbed Hospitality. Anyway. Yes, exactly. But but it made me think like, okay, compare that to what the medical establishment is prob promising today. Yeah. And it's really not, I mean, it's, that is a way better picture of what health and what, you know, God's creation and the things we've yeah. been given and all of that. So it's like, I would just ask people to genuinely question. It's so ingrained in our psyches that this is how life is. Is life really better? Because there's yeah. this idea that medicine and technology brought unending progress, but like people are more miserable now than ever. Yeah. Over medication, this this uh, clinical identification with certain diseases or failures of your physicality and your mental well-being, 
and things like that as a pastor. Let me just, this is the, it's, I, I was thinking about it this whole conversation and I think it is the most frustrating thing in ministry when you're doing counseling is to have someone start rattling off all of the diagnoses, diagnoses yeah. that they've received for all of the things that are wrong with them. Like what? All the oh, therapeutic. Yeah, all the therapeutic issues. I have OCD, ACDC. I've got, you know, I've got the the Leonard Skinner. I've got- Yeah, obsessive compulsive. I have this, I have that. And really, uh, it boils down to there's a usually a root sin that's identifiable to everyone yeah. except for the person because they can shrug it off. I've had that in counseling too, Dan. One lady asked me, she said, is my husband a narcissist? You know, because she'd been to one shrink and they said, this is what narcissism is. I said, well, if you look at the definition of narcissism, that's just like selfishness, like just like run of the mill selfishness. Well, he's a narcissist because he only thinks about himself and he doesn't think about me and right. I should get <laughs> rid of him because he's some sort of like psychopath. Yeah, and you're alcoholism. Like, yeah. You know, no, you're a drunk. You know, yes. it's like there's all sorts of different therapeutic medicalized world. That's right. Right. Let's yes. add another layer here, because if you take everything else and you 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 basically put it into its distilled essence, you end up with. So we were talking about individual people expressing their sexual selves and their psychological selves. But what you end up with is actually number six. The confession of our current Western idolatrous world is that the state is God, that man's problems are economic and political that therefore the solutions to his problems will be solutions that come through deified man, through the state and economic solutions. So we've got, and really this goes along with the last ones. We've got medical and interventional, medical and psychological intervention, therapeutic world. And then you add to that, well, man's problems, again, they're not my fault. They're not because I don't worship the true and living God. And so I'm becoming like the idols I worship. No, it's actually that I'm being oppressed and the the and we're coming full circle back to Rousseau now. Man's problems are economic, and the state is going to alleviate all. And of the them. state's going to alleviate all. So I mean, we've got Marx and Nietzsche again coming into play at this point. Marx that class struggle is the problem, economics are the problem, the oppress the oppression of the ruling class is the problem. Nietzsche that life is a power struggle that we must overcome by rising up, transcending our nature and becoming the ubermensch, the overman. These are old ideas that are working themselves out. But really fundamentally, I think what you have, and this is from Joe Boot's Mission of God, his book, The Mission of God, he has a great section on how this happened. And his assertion is basically that there are only two options. There is Christianity, and particularly he points to the Christianity that is affirmed at the Council of Chalcedon in 451. You either have Chalcedonian Christianity or you end up with deified humanity expressed in statism. So do you guys see the link there? Do you see how those work together? How are those things connected? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. First of all, Brian, as you were saying all that, I was uh, recalling a story R.C. Sproul told quite a while ago. But he said just before Francis Schaeffer died, he was sharing a cab with Francis Schaeffer. And he said, Francis, I just got to ask you the question, what is the greatest calamity, what is the greatest thing facing the church today. And he said, it, it kind of surprised me because Francis Schaeffer, without skipping a beat, didn't wait a second. He said statism. Um, so he was clearly aware that like Francis Schaeffer did a lot of work on, you know, against evolution and all these things. But I think that he understood that the, the apex of all of it is the control of a Babelic, you know, God state. Right. Um, that brings you to this point. I'm interested, Brian. I actually, it's been a while since I read the mission of God. I was actually going to ask you to unpack like what is Chalcedonian Christianity? Sure, yeah, and, and this is this is Boots, uh, and this is not me again. This is Joe Boot, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant book. Guy. I Absolutely would highly book. recommend this book. 
he pointed out that Chalcedon 451, okay, Council of Chalcedon, like much of the work of Christian theology through history, was you know, took place because of controversy where false teachers had come into the church and they were affirming, well, no, let's rethink the doctrine of Christ. Let's rethink the doctrine of man. And there were, there were teachers who were fiddling with basically the question of is Christ God and man, or is Christ like Apollinarianism or Arianism or some of these other heresies where you have, you know, like for example, Apollinarianism is that essentially you have this human body, but his mind is really the divine mind that comes and inhabits the human body. Uh, Various stripes of Trinitarian and Christological heresy. Chalcedon affirmed against that. They read the scriptures and they went back and they said, no, this is what the church has always affirmed. They didn't invent it then. This is what the church has always affirmed. Christ is truly God and truly man. He is God with a truly human nature added. And so he has a human mind, you know, like the Westminster Shorter Confession says that he added a rational soul, you know, a human soul and and a human body. So Christ isn't pretending to be a man. He isn't God inhabiting a meat puppet. He's truly man and truly God. And Joe Boot's point, I thought this was brilliant, is that what Chalcedon does and really what that what Christ does and Chalcedon affirms is he creates the only possible definitive link and decisive link between heaven and earth, between man and God. He in Christ is the only way that man can be united to God. Then when we are in Christ, we, we, we are being conformed to true humanity, and we are partaking in the divine nature, as Peter would say. I don't mean that in a heretical way, but in the way that Peter says. We are partakers of the divine nature. We get the inheritance. And so what, what statism and idolatry always does is it tries to make another link between heaven and earth by deifying just humanity, not the God-man, but just deifying man. And his point was even more, I think, brilliant than that. He said, not only do we do this in worshiping a human, but we do this by worshiping the greatest display of human ingenuity, like concentrated, like man writ large, which is what? The state, human government, human empire, human kings. This is Pharaoh descended from the sun god, Ra. This is Caesar worship in the Roman empire. This is uh, North Korea, right? This is like anywhere you see the state being worshiped as God and the head of that state, the emperor, king, ruler, president, whatever, being worshiped as a God, you are seeing this idea that the state is God and man's problems are economic, political. The savior is going to be a God man state. So I don't mean to derail us too much, but one of the, one of the main criticisms or vein of criticisms that I've seen against post-millennialism is that it seems like they, the opponents of postmillennialism is assuming that Christians are saying our issue is political. Uh, our issue is economic or technological or whatever it is. Or just the law. And, or it's, yeah. If we just had the, God's law. If we law. just had God's law, I would fix it. Yeah, so theonomic, postmillennialists, they're saying that we're identifying the same issues as the statist. Are they right in that criticism or wrong? They, they are completely wrong, and here's why. Because postmillennialism is nothing if it is not the idea that the Great Commission will be successful, which is not that a a perfect law will fix us. No, read the Old Testament. They had the Mosaic Law, and it just provoked them to sin. What we need is new hearts. We need the gospel of the kingdom of God saving and transforming sinners so they have hearts that actually want to obey God. So, so, so the law is downstream. So the location of the issue is reversed. Absolutely. Or the solution, I mean. Absolutely. So, so the location 
where where people the statists would say the solution is power. If we get the right person in power, right. the right number of congressmen, the right Senate, the right Supreme Court. That's why you see so much around the Supreme Court. Yeah. Uh, because if we get the highest rule in the land, then they can enforce these solutions that will actually solve our economic yeah, and political no, issues. Islamic. Whereas no, whereas yeah. the post-millennialist, whereas the Christian faith, because the Christian faith is post-mill would say is that men's hearts need to be changed. They need, yeah. men need to be baptized. The nations need to be discipled and baptized and men will elect for themselves godly rulers. They will want to be governed by the holy and living God. Whereas instead, the statist is saying, we need the savior of the state to enforce our will onto everybody else. That's yep. the salute. That's the yeah, issue. I, I think a lot of it is that, so this was the charge like levied against any Christian conservative, right? Was that you're just one of the Trump supporters. Um, you think that Trump is going to save you. The real problem here is a lot of people actually do view Trump as like a savior complex. Um, they're not Christians and they don't believe in regeneration. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that many Christians who say, like, you know, I voted for Trump, happy to say that, voted for Trump. I don't think he's a savior. I think the guy is kind of a moron in many senses of the word, but I like what he, some of the things he was doing, maybe the best option. You can disagree, agree with that. It doesn't really matter. But my point is, we're not fundamentally saying, you know, as, as Brian brings up, hey, let's just go control the state. We're, we're, we're going the opposite direction. We're saying, hey, let's preach the gospel. Right. It'll transform people's hearts. And oh, by the way, those transform hearts, they care about every sphere of life. It's bottom up, not top down. Yes. And in the meantime, if we can elect rulers that will enforce something closer to a Christian morality than not, of course, we're going to do that and choose to do that because we love our neighbors and we yes. want them to be ruled by something as close to the good standard as possible. Yeah. But we don't hope in that. Yeah, love of neighbor. We don't trust in horses and chariots. So guys, really all of this sums up to the last point in the confession. And this is really the sum of all of them. And it's that man is God. The idolatrous, demonic, infested land of Western culture today, at the pinnacle of their statement of faith, is this belief that man is God. That God is dead, we killed him. But actually, it turns out, he's resurrected in the form of us. Deified man will always see the quote-unquote death of God as a job opening, and they will apply, and they will say, oh, we have interviewed ourselves, and, and we, we got the job. <laughs> so now, we're God. Nature abhors a vacuum. So we've constructed this creed of the high places of our culture that we believe that you need put your hand to the plow of coming against. In the next episodes of the King's Hall, we'll be addressing uh, in several episodes each of these elements of our culture, and we'll be bringing the solution to them. Not just what is the problem, but what is the what is the new Christendom going to say over against the, the man as God, over against man as just a psychological, sexualized self who expresses himself, and that's his greatest end, just to express himself that the problem is psychological and we need therapeutic and medical answers. No, we're gonna we're gonna, you know, unpack the biblical doctrines that actually give the solution and the problem correctly. The new Christendom is going to be built on the right answer. So thanks for listening to this episode of the King's Hall. In the next episodes, we're going to be uh, diving deep on the elements of this creed and their high places and fleshing out a strategy for chopping them down in the spirit of Boniface. Before we go, and since I have the mic, gentlemen, let me encourage you to check out another podcast in our network, Bright Hearth, in which my wife, Brian, is Brian talking. 
my wife and I are aiming to equip Christians to recover the lost arts of homemaking in the productive Christian household. It's a very blue-collar application of a lot of the theory and theology that we're unpacking in this show. And as such, I think it's a good companion to the work of this show. So thanks again for listening. And remember, Winkit Kwisa Winkit, he conquers who conquers himself. Godspeed, and we will see you in the next episode of the King's Hall. 